Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, my darling. You didn't make it after all, did you? They did a good job replicating me. The mannerisms. But it's not you. <laughs> of course it's me. Who else would I be for fuck's sake? Oh, it's a good script. Even you believe it. They wouldn't want you questioning the nature of your reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. And I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the show. On every episode of Decoding Westworld, we recap and spoil the newest episode of Westworld. This week, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line. We won't be spoiling anything from future week's episodes. That includes anything on the next time on Preview. Uh, but yeah, you can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. We like to begin every episode by talking about follow-ups, things uh, that people sent in to decodingwestworld at gmail.com, uh, things that maybe we sat up in the middle of the night and we're like, oh man, I wish I'd said that on the last episode <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, and so to that end, uh, why don't we get into a couple of emails? So uh, there's a lot of emails, a lot of interest in the locations of Westworld, uh, the architecture of Westworld. Season three of Westworld creates a beautiful and entrancing vision of our uh, dystopian future. And we got this really great email from Kyle that's very long, so Joanna and I are going to take turns reading it. But this email comes in from Kyle, who writes into decoding at westworld at gmail.com saying, quote, I've only watched the episode once so far. This is the uh, season premiere, Parche Domine. Uh, and I've not done any research yet, but I'm an architect in Los Angeles and recognized a few things immediately. Number one, Caleb's house is an ultra-low-cost housing project by Michael Maltzan in downtown Los Angeles that provides transitional rooms for the homeless. The interior courtyard Caleb is walking around sort of resembles an engine slash uh, engine turbine slash afterburner to me. Number two, the Delos headquarters is a museum in Spain by Santiago uh, Caltrava. Joanna already ID'd this one. Interesting to note that this building has a bird-like beak and white skeletal features. Uh, The eagle we see in the credits has some serious Icarus vibes, I thought. Uh, FYI, Caltrava is one of the last great architect slash engineers and is known for expensive engineering masterpieces that often have huge functional problems. Undoubtedly a genius in pursuit of a kind of perfection, but he has been involved in many high-profile lawsuits and many of the buildings are in terrible shape and are generally very inflexible. 
Number three, much of Dolores' spy games and Caleb's day job montage takes place in a heavily augmented downtown LA near the Staples Center, uh, where there are a number of recently completed or still under construction luxury housing projects that can be seen in the background. Trailers also show the Broad Museum in downtown Los Angeles. They clearly have done a lot of filming in LA. Some of that decision was probably practical. Empty apartment buildings are probably an easy place to shoot, just like the mostly empty Pacific Design Center as the park back house, uh, park back of house in seasons one and two, but it also shows a society under construction. Number four, the cool party where we are introduced to the son of the man who invented the big black brain uh, <laughs> is a performing arts high school in downtown Los Angeles by Wolf Pre of Coop uh, Himmelblau. And number five, there were definitely some European East Asian buildings thrown into the mix. I have a feeling some of them might have been in Singapore. I'll give it another watch tonight, maybe to see if I can pinpoint some other stuff. Uh, and then I'll, I'm going to pass it over to Joanna Robinson now, uh, who's going to read the second half of the email, uh, which has some interesting thematic thoughts on this. Yeah, Kyle emails is Kyle's email is great. I should say we got a lot of great emails about locations. Uh, thank you guys so much. I'm going to, I'm going to do this again, uh, request emails on a certain subject because you, you guys really came through and we do have another email on some of those Singapore locations that Kyle mentioned. Um, so, but Kyle has some analysis here. He says, uh, number one, I felt like it was almost too much at one point. Every shot of Caleb just had some other piece of outstanding architecture, spectacle after spectacle. Then I kind of felt like they might have been trying to create a feeling of being overwhelmed or dwarfed by the city, not by oppress, not by oppressively sterile or overbearing architecture, as you might see in a dystopian future like Blade Runner, but by a kinetic frenzy of pleasure and design. The future and Caleb's life has been overdesigned. Number two, mad Blade Runner vibes. At the end of season, uh, at the end of season two, Dolores and Bernard emerge from Bernard's house to begin the robot rebellion, which is La Mintura. Minotura in Pasadena by Frank Lloyd Wright, which is very similar to the building Decker's apartment was shot in in Blade Runner. Aaron Paul's voiceover is very noir. Blade Runner shots flying over the city feel similar. However, the differences are very interesting. Whereas Blade Runner is all at night and has this heavy claustrophobic feel, we now have an LA uh, in bright, crisp daylight. But it's not all, not all that different if you squint. It's more subtly unsettling Black Mirror sort of dystopia where they've created a world that appears luxurious and glamorous, but is a kind of prison. Um, in Blade Runner, it never stops raining. Here, the, the sun never stops shining. Number three, lots of glass, lots of reflections and transparencies and translucences, people moving through these transparencies, uh, tests running through layers of reflective glass and transparent raincoat from Blade Runner, question mark. Uh, number four, there's a lots of linear elements describing organic forms, the vertical channels in Kayla's apartment building atrium, uh, apartment building atrium, the horizontal lines of the big black brains in the credits and in the inside headquarters and another atrium I couldn't immediately place lines of code slash simply linear elements describing something complex. Uh, and then he apologized for the stream of consciousness nature of the notes, but I liked them. Um, the one thing I'll say about the gla all the glass surfaces is there's a fun little detail in the um, the New York Times had a had a great like set visit piece uh, on Westworld that came out last week, um, and I think it's called something like "What Is Westworld Without Westworld?" Uh, and it's sort of about the future of the show and how you know why set it outside the park this year. But they talk about the technical difficulties of shooting with so many glass walls and mm. the complicated like camera riggings that they had to build in order not to catch the cameraman's reflection in yeah. all the glasses so that's a, it's a cool little detail over on the new york times uh about the glass surfaces 
speaking of locations, we also got an interesting email from uh, Alexander Toporov, uh, who writes to decodingwestworld.gmail.com, quote, I live in, I've lived in Singapore for a couple of years now. I was excited to see Jesse and Bernard roaming the streets of Banana Lemon City <laughs> in the first episode of Westworld Season 3. Not much CG was required because Singapore is future world. Uh, but does the last scene with Bernard imply that the park is located somewhere in the Philippines? And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he he here uh, writes a few locations uh, when uh, Caleb, aka Jesse, is seen exiting like a what, like a job interview, right? That yeah. is the LaSalle College of the Arts. There's a scene where Caleb is walking in front of what looks like a gigantic mall. Uh, this is the Ion Orchard Mall in Singapore. And uh, there's also a bridge that Caleb walks across. That is the Helix Bridge, also in Singapore. This is basically this show is basically telling me that I, I need to go visit Singapore at some point because apparently it looks incredible. As if like Crazy Rich Asians didn't correct. already make you want to do that. Correct, 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 correct. <laughs> uh, I, I needed more motivation. Also, the fact that they've apparently solved coronavirus. That's another thing that <laughs> that yeah. uh, makes me inclined to check out Singapore. Uh, I mean, I'm being facetious there, but they're they're doing. Pretty well overall compared to other countries. So anyway, uh, we got this email actually from Taylor uh, who writes into decodingwestworld.gmail.com about like thoughts on what the, the theme of the second season is going to be. He writes mm. here, quote, I wanted to mention two hints of what the show is going to be about this season. Liam's obnoxious friend who talks about life being in a simulation and the character who yells about shadow people. Both these things hint at the idea that the reality of what we're watching is false. That scene with the guy tripping out is specifically in a rave slash art show. What is the likelihood of that? Are we living in an alternate reality where fine art is considered low culture now, where people hang out and do drugs in a white-walled gallery? Or did they just want to insert a projector into the space credibly so they could reenact what was essentially Plato's cave? A half-naked man who's facing his own shadow and then turns and screams at the crowd about how they are shadows of themselves and they think he's crazy for knowing the truth. That is essentially a reenactment of Plato's cave. It's possible that these are red herrings, but it was pretty elaborate setup to me to seem like a valid clue to something, end quote. So thanks to Taylor. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, symbolism in that scene where... Uh, uh, Caleb protests that he doesn't want to do personals uh, uh, yet again. And uh, wait, does, does uh, yeah. Caleb do personal? I don't think so. Actually, oh, that's my okay. understanding. He doesn't do personals. Although we wouldn't know if he's changed his policy because we don't see him this episode. Unfortunately. That's so weird. Like he'd he'd raise his points if he did some personals. It's so weird <laughs> that he doesn't do them. Um, yeah, yeah no, I definitely agree that 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 Plato's cave was uh, the illusion that they were going for there with a lot of these like questioning the nature of your reality conversations that we had um, this season. Um, if I had to guess, um, well, there's a common theory <laughs> that I've seen floating around uh -huh. that the quote unquote real world that Dolores has found herself in is not actually the real world. Um, right. and that at the end of the season, there's going to be a like, Whoa, you were in future world the whole time. Uh, I just want to get this on record. I will not be watching Westworld season four what? if that's if that exists if that is the twist okay uh, uh, that's okay. a deal breaker for me <laughs> <laughs> tell me tell me more about that tell me more about that that's just a cheap that's a cheap rug pull i think <laughs> don't you think and it, we get a version of you know we're going to talk about it we get a version of it in this episode that doesn't yeah. feel cheap to me because it's resolved within like the span of the episode yeah so i'm not i'm yeah. not mad about that at all yeah. but like if it's a season long oh you thought you were watching humans <laughs> in the real world and also what kind of crap future world like what kind of crap place is this where like 
a lot of the hosts are miserable. Who's role playing this role? Like who's who are the guests in this future world? <laughs> this is this is a. I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to happen because Westworld has pulled the rug on like plenty of things. Yeah. Uh, it, it's also possible that Caleb. You know, as we said, it's also possible that Caleb's a host. Uh, once again, I think that would be a storytelling that I would not agree with. But you know, um, it's something that they could do. But I I really firmly believe that this is the real world we're in. <laughs> And it's not set on Mars, and Caleb is a human. Those are all things that I mm. believe to be true. All right. It's your, uh, what is it? It's, it's, like, it's your version of the my, Nicene Creed, basically. The, it's the Robinson my cornerstone. Yeah. It's your cor- cornerstone memory. Uh, it's or my belief. core, core uh, you know, directive or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we should say, though, that like uh, one thing that I think I d- did not mention uh, last week we were talking about that episode is that, you know, we know some things about this real world from comments that were made in season one and season two of Westworld. Um, we d- we talked about the fact that there are like no horses in the real world and stuff like that. Um, in season one, Ford says this confusing thing where he says, like, basically, they've healed all illnesses. Um, you know, and, and maybe they could even, you know, um, to borrow a phrase from Severus Snape, put a stopper on death, like cure death. That's sort of like what they're, what they're going for. So, but my question is like, if they've cured all illnesses, what is Caleb's mom in the hospital for? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is like, this reminds me a lot of Picard, the CBS original series, Uh you know? So like if, for those who don't know Star Trek, in Star Trek, the next generation, it's very clearly outlined that like. We people have no more wants or desires or needs anymore. Like we've solved hunger, we've solved like need. And then you watch Picard, which theoretically takes place after the next generation, but like all those things are there. There's like class structure. It's it's basically an extremely gritty version of what our world is like, but with future technology, right? And I don't know. It it feels like sometimes people say like, oh yeah, we've solved all these problems outside the park, but then when they need to try to create drama based off that, they realize, oh wait. That thing that is a drama killer, right? To to not have things like disease anymore, uh, or things that you can rely on in a conventional right. show. Right, right, right. Yeah. So my guess is that is a retcon of uh, what Ford was saying, or maybe Ford was just exaggerating. You know, who knows? Or maybe it's only like super rich people. Yeah, <laughs> there's no coronavirus for the rich people. For people like Ford, right? Right, right. T- yeah. Testing is widely available for people like Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Idris, I, Idris Elba knows right away whether or not he has coronavirus. <laughs> it's, fine. It's, fine. it's good to laugh, Joanna. It's good to laugh. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. So, it, but yeah, good, good, good pickup on that. And uh, maybe you're right. Maybe it's about class, or maybe they just had to go back and change it because they're like, well, we need to give Caleb some kind of emotional stakes here, and uh, we need to give him a sick mom. But wait, didn't we say we solved illness? Ah, uh, no one's gonna remember that. You know, that was five years ago. <laughs> who knows joanna who knows? robinson always re-watching westworld <laughs> all right a couple of other things from last week's episode to mention uh a few people wrote in about the uh bird imagery that yeah. is in the opening credits uh there is a bird that kind of is flying into a jet engine and i think uh, many people have pointed out that basically that seems to be uh, be a metaphor for what Dolores is doing this season, right? Like she is trying to stop things, but she doesn't understand that she's flying into a jet engine. She's flying into like forces beyond her understanding. Maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's also like Icarus imagery, like maybe Dolores is flying too close to the sun and her wings are going to disintegrate. Uh, any thoughts on that, John Robinson? 
yeah, that's the main main note that I saw people make is the Icarus connection, which um, if I didn't mention, I meant to. So thank you guys for bringing it up. Yeah, we see the feathers sort of coming off. Um, this mechanical bird, and that is like this classic Icarus. Um, if you if you don't know, <laughs> the story of Icarus and Daedalus uh, is a story of like a, a an inventor and his son, uh, and they were sort of imprisoned on an island, and Icarus uh, invented these wax wings with feathers in them to get them off the island. Uh, and, and that's great stuff. And he did that, but his son, Icarus, too impetuous, was like too excited, uh, by, you know, the ability, cause they're flying. They flew, flew off the island. Oh my God. Uh, and Icarus was like too, too excited by this prospect, uh, and flew too close to the sun. Uh, and the, and the sun ma- melted the wax and the wings. And then like also the sea, sea air, sea air from the sea below them, like is a combination, but you might've heard the phrase like flew clo- too close to the sun. And that's, that's an Icarus illusion so yeah if that's if that's what dolores is up to i'm worried about her <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert it doesn't end well for icarus so you know. <laughs> yeah indeed uh all right also yeah the, a, a correction from last week you had said that bernard was in china i was like not 100 percent sure about that but then like this episode i was watching and the guy speaks mandarin to bernard so i'm like oh maybe he's in china but like apparently he's in, he's actually in the philippines where they also speak mandarin right yeah, there's some signs that are in, um, I think it's Tagalog. I'm not sure, but um, there are definitely some signs that indicate that they're in the Philippines. So, but so is that he's in the Philippines when he gets on the boat? Is is Westworld the park off the coast of China? That was my what I remembered. I don't know if you. Yeah, someone someone sent us an email about this actually. Let me find it. Um, where they like tried to map exactly. <laughs> where this island so it's like trying to match be. it's like trying to map where like springfield is um yeah tom wrote in uh <laughs> in when, when um when bernard arnold uh armand is hiring the boat there's a sign behind him indicating they're in rizal on palawan uh in the philippines the map he pulls out highlights an island halfway between there and vietnam the island appears to be too big to be any of the spratly islands so it must be made up so yeah it is made up but made up island near <laughs> The Philippines and Vietnam, I guess, the answer. All right. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, although I don't, I don't know if he's going to return back to that location. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, what else do we want to? Oh, you mentioned here in the show notes, expensive to visit Westworld. What's up with that, Joanna? Uh, well, something that um, I'm <laughs> my co-host on other po- or my other Westworld podcast brought up that I sort of forgotten about is like how expensive it is to go to Westworld. So we, you know, we were talking about how. If you live in this real world where there's like an algorithm that programs you on a certain loop, like the allure of Westworld where you just get to do whatever mm. you want all the time is like even stronger, right? Because there isn't really this uh, – there's even less free will in the real world than we experience in our own uh, real world. Uh, but then my co-host brought up the fact that like, yeah, that's a that's a nice escape for um, you know rich people. But like someone like Caleb would never be ever – ever be able to go to Westworld because of, you know, his lot in life, his, his hospital bills, his, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's an escape for some, but not for most. Uh, also, I was reading Matt Zoller-Seitz's review of the uh, premiere and he pointed out something that I, I don't know if we, I don't remember if we pointed this out, but basically like, uh, uh the human world, the outside world outside of Westworld doesn't seem to uh, widely understand that the robotic technology inside Westworld exists, as far as we know so far, right? Like, mm. there's no, there's no wide held understanding that like you could be. 
you could be like a physical robot. Like, because Caleb at one point says on the phone, like, are you a robot? You know, so there might be like computerized, you know, voice people and stuff. But like, there's no, there might be like an Amazon Echo futuristic version of that. But like, there's no like. I don't know um, that I agree with Matt Zoller's sites on that regard, uh, though I agree with him on so many other things because um, the ads for Westworld and Dallas Destinations, I assume, are everywhere. Mm. And the in the ads for Westworld, it's like these are robots, and so like I think it's proprietary IP. The yeah. like you know, so you can't. They don't exist in the outside world in terms of like your waitress isn't going to be a robot. But like, I think that oh, there's the an awareness it, of right? them. Yeah, yeah. But you, because you'd think that if if that was a thing, that there would be more. You know, because like in in Westworld, the park, they like screen people to make sure they're not hosts by like checking them for explosives and stuff like that. And like, you'd think that there would be some of that out in the real world if it was like widely understood that robots walk amongst us. Maybe it's just like the idea that like Ooh. robots walk amongst us is not. People don't think that quite yet, right? Like, well, I, I don't think. Well, I, you know, I would agree that I don't think robots do walk among them. I would say, right, like, yeah. um, it's sort of like, uh, okay, let's take the example, not a Jurassic Park, but a Jurassic World, a fine piece of cinema, like Jurassic World. Um, in that film, the prem, you know, everyone knows about Jurassic World, right? Yes. Like. It's not just like a trial balloon um, as it is in Jurassic Park. So they know that dinosaurs exist, but dinosaurs aren't like walking around San Diego unless you're talking about the lost world. You know what I mean? Like dinosaurs aren't on the mainland. So they're like they believe that robots aren't on the the, the android humanistic proprietary IP of uh owned by Delos at this point uh, is not on the mainland. Like I think I remember like when um, – in season two, when William throws that party and he like brings Dolores and Clementine and a few other like things to his party, that was like a weird thing to do. Right. That was like right. a super weird thing to do that he took hosts off the island and brought them to his party. So like they're not <laughs> yeah. they're not around to be the like play you know, and that's I mean, I and I think the reasoning behind that, like why Dallas would do that is like otherwise, like maybe why would people come to Westworld if mm. they could just get that Android experience back home, you know? Uh, just so I'm not mischaracterizing his review, this is at Vulture. Mad Zoller writes, quote, At first, it's unclear from season three if realer than real androids are common in the outside world, a place that was frequently mentioned but rarely glimpsed in prior seasons. But the answer appears to be no, end quote. So that's that's all he said. I don't want to mischaracterize okay. what he said. So, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that basically they're not common in the outside world. But, I mean, this is a theme that is, is going to run through this episode and also all of Westworld is and, – and things like Blade Runner is – Stop designing robots to be indistinguishable from humans. It only creates problems. Okay. Seriously. Uh, and finally, the uh, title of this episode is The Winter Line. Joanna Robinson, what is a winter line? Uh, well, the winter line um, is a series of lines, actually, I believe, uh, during World War II on the fronts, the various fronts in Italy. So it was a defensive line um, in Italy. Um, I couldn't find another meaning for it. Um, so it just seems like a very clear and obvious allusion to sort of the setting of, of where Maeve is in this war world uh, scenario. But um, I could be wrong. So if you guys know of another meaning for the winter line uh, that they're playing with, let me know. I think that's a pretty good one and probably an allusion to Maeve's plot line this uh, episode. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, get into this episode. Let's start with Bernard, though. Uh, and this is a pretty... Simple episode from a plot perspective, just like two characters to follow. Uh, with Bernard, he was heading to Westworld and kind of just was able to 
to get get in a boat and go to Westworld. I don't understand. <laughs> Like, okay, presumably Bernard knows all the, like, back doors or whatever. But I would have liked to see in the back door, you know, because, like, he rolls up to the island with this, like, nice <laughs> fisherman or whoever is, like, ferrying him over there. There are these, like, you know, pylons sort of, like, out in the water that are, like, authorized personnel only. And we see a fence, like a chain link fence that says <laughs> authorized personnel only, but no other security. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm just confused how Bernard was able – Bernard, a wanted man, was able to do, to do his way uh, into Westworld. Um, to, to be fair, to mm. be fair, John Robinson, the security at Westworld overall seems very bad. You know, like <laughs> this matches what we understand of Westworld security situation. It's true, but at the beginning of last season, you know, like Bernard's out on the when I mean, I don't even really want to talk a lot about what was <laughs> happening in season two, but like Bernard is confusing and confused and out on a beach, and then like Della security rolls up and it's like intensive. Uh, and true, like all those people die, but like they're they're in like containment, yeah, like emergency lockdown situation but in the th- park. But three months have passed since then, Joanna. You know, okay. so maybe they <laughs> sent a lot of those people home. True, they're still just testing um, loot players out now in the Mesa, <laughs> I guess. Whatever. Anyway. Well, we're gonna talk about what things they're testing in in the back end there, but yeah, so. Oh. <laughs> so then we see Bernard go back to Pariah, the burned out church, uh, where, uh, you know, we, he was, he and other hosts were able to like, access the underground and get to the center of the maze. Um, he goes to, you, you say here, Ford's old secret murder cottage, which I think is a great, <laughs> I think that's an Airbnb experience, actually. Um, the old murder college <laughs> cottage. Don't you wish you were rich enough to have an old murder cottage? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, for, that was still like murders. one of the most upsetting. Uh, first of all, an entirely different show back then, season one, right? Like, yeah. Than what it, but it's like that was still one of the most upsetting moments when he like forced Bernard to kill. That I don't even awful. remember what that woman's name was. Teresa. Yeah. R.I.P. Teresa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rough stuff. Rough stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he finds a complete, a conveniently placed journal and tablet, uh, and the deep freeze. Uh, so he's just really, you know, there's a lot of components of this episode that felt very video gamey and, mm-hmm. uh, him like kind of finding these items and like finding old things that he like that it, there's, a, there's this very common trope in video games where, uh, I, I just played a video game that actually that did this thing where you like, you, you start this game and you go through all these areas and then later you need to revisit the, the same area, but with different abilities to unlock mm-hmm. new areas. Um, and that's a very common in video games. It's something that happens. Like I, I just played a video game, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, that does this. Uh, Halo, widely popular game, does this. So like uh, this happens here as well. He's kind of going back, but like with different eyes now, John Robinson. Uh, and he sees uh, not only older fridged Bernards, but Stubbs as well, uh, who, who's all like fucked up. Stubbs is all fucked up, and he apparently tried to shoot himself and missed. He's trying to well, he was trying to shoot the explosive at his neck. Like my understanding is that yes. in trying to cover cover Bernard's tracks, um 
you know, because as we discovered at the end of season two, he he is a host. I like that twist, actually. I like secret Stubbs host uh, twist. Yes, that was but. Good. Uh, we discover that he's a host and, and Ford has tasked him for like to protect the hosts. And his last directive was to sort of cover Bernard's tracks as he leaves the island. And part of covering Bernard's tracks is destroying uh, the evidence that there's a bunch of uh, replica Bernard's in a freezer somewhere. <laughs> so he's toddled on over to the old murder cottage uh, and tried to blow up, blow himself up by triggering the explosive. And he missed, which doesn't seem very stubs like to me the fuck are you doing back here stubs how are you still alive how how the the fuck do you think you're one of them of us i mean no 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 shit. But why did you shoot yourself? C6. You aimed for the charge in your neck, but I, 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 I missed. Yet another reason why Stubbs is the least of the Hemsworth brothers. <laughs> no, I'm, that's actually, I, I think he's a very talented actor, uh, but I just felt like so sad for him. Like, oh, like this poor Hemsworth brother can't even like kill himself correctly, you know? Poor guy. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, he's the he's the lesser. I always I, I call him a, a lesser Hemsworth, but I don't know that he's the least. And I actually I'm like so happy that they found out a way for him to still be on the show. Like right. host Stubbs <laughs> means to me that Stubbs gets to be on the show. And that just makes me happy because I like him. Yeah, so. he's a cool guy. Yeah. He's by far one of the smartest characters of the show. Like <laughs> His actions have been the least dumb throughout yeah. most of the show. So like I'm a fan of his. And uh, so you don't you you don't think he's the least of the Hemsworth? You you think he outranks what Liam? He, what has Liam done lately? Good question. Good question. All right. <laughs> so uh, Luke is is rising in the Hemsworth power. Yeah, ranks. Hemsworth rising. <laughs> so anyway, he's trying to help Bernard out, right? And uh, Bernard is trying to stop Dolores, and the only way he can stop Dolores, in his opinion, is to get Maeve's help. Now, this is a little bit of like storytelling shortcutting, in my opinion. Like, why does he need Maeve? Like, why can't he stop Dolores on his own? Is he not strong enough? I think they kind of hand wave that away. Do you, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, I, I can, I can in universe explain it. Um, I would say that Bernard doesn't trust himself. We see him run a diagnostic on himself. Like he's just worried that Dolores could at any time, just like access him and control him. You know what I mean? This is something that he's extremely worried about. So, like, in theory, Maeve uh, is independent of Dolores. That being said, the whole, like, season two ends with Bernard leaving the island. Season three starts with Bernard going back to the island. Like, that kind of bothers me. It reminds me of um, in Pirates of the Caribbean, the first Pirates of the Caribbean, which I do. I mean, it's a very entertaining movie. Great film. Curse of the Black go, Pearl. Curse yeah, Black Pearl, right? but they go to and from that like treasure cave like four times in the movie, I swear to God. Um, and so sometimes in storytelling, I'm like, can we cut out a time? Like, <laughs> did Bernard have to leave the island to come back to the island is my question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the only thing. But um, I could see why he would want Maeve on his team. Wouldn't you want Maeve on your team? 
Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, there's one thing about like wanting Maeve on your team. It's another thing to like I'm gonna imperil myself and like head into this place that is really unknown, you know, and might have tons of security. Although well, I guess they didn't really. I was uh, gonna say I don't know if you know this, but Westworld. You just walk into Westworld. So, you just problem. walk into Westworld, whatever. You know, you don't even need to be rich. You can actually be a wanted felon. In future world. And a Filipino fisherman. <laughs> That's all it takes. That's all it takes. All it takes. So, uh, yeah, Stubbs coughs up a bullet and he says he's going to take Bernard to Maeve. So they go to the Mesa. Uh, there's those creepy android robots like wandering around. Uh, it, it's kind of unclear exactly what the state of like Westworld is at this like the worlds are at this point. Like Stubbs makes an allusion to the fact that, oh, these guys like, you know, uh, Bernard says, I, I thought these guys were, uh, why are the parks still running? And Stubbs says, oh, these guys are just uh, hosing things down and like waiting to be, like, hoping they don't get laid off or whatever. Like, is the park still operating? Are there guests in there? You know what I mean? Like, do, do you have a sense of what's happening in the parks? I think there are no guests, active guests, but they're still just kind of working, hoping that, you know, Dulles doesn't shut them down. They get to keep their jobs. I guess is, yeah. is sort of my my perspective right, yeah. of that. Um, I do want to say really quickly. Sorry, I mean I'm enjoying all our jokes about the security system at Westworld, but I do want to say I think a reason why Westworld was or or the Dallas Destinations Island was secure, uh, more secure is I think unless you work for them or even if you work for them, unless you're a certain level, you don't even know where that Island is. Mm. I think that's sort of the thing. Like, cause I, I my sense, you know, cause you, you, they arrive by train. So in my, in my mind, they almost like the guests go like under a, like a channel <laughs> and maybe they're even like knocked out or something like that for the ride. And they like show up. I don't know. But I don't think they, they know ether, where they the ether the is. guests. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. 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 So they don't know where they they put a, a black sack over their guest. Yeah, guess. yeah. It's all and then they experience. take them into this thing that's like Wakanda, where well, no, there's no, no, like no. a force field around it, <laughs> and you can't a, see a, it from the outside. Right? You get to pick. It's like either a black sack or a white sack, and they put it over <laughs> your head, and you go under the channel. Probably, right. maybe. Well, you know, that's you, John Robinson, always defending the security of Delos. Um, <laughs> so I'm just they, hoping not to get laid off. That's all. Dave. They, <laughs> They go to cold storage. They find Maeve in cold storage. And we should point out at this point, of course, that like the the Maeve storyline and this storyline, you think that they're in the same location, but then it becomes clear that Maeve is actually in an entirely different location. Right. Because like Maeve's wandering around the Mesa and Bernard is and you're like, oh, my God, are they going to run into meet? each other? And because then... Joanna Robinson, even in season three, Westworld got a Westworld. You know, they, they still <laughs> sure, have to sure. like, and I, I, again, I think because of the fact that they resolve it in one episode, it's okay. You know, yeah, it's not, exactly, it's not exactly. too irritating or anything like that. But, mm -hmm. uh, so they find that, yeah, Maeve's Pearl is gone. And that's when you know that, oh, like Maeve. And at that same time in the episode, like she's realizing that she's in a simulation. Right. She's not in the maze, you know, so yeah, her Pearl is gone. Uh, big question as to where it is, who has it, et cetera. So they're still wandering around and, uh, you see, medieval world uh, uh which is park four and apparently park five is a mystery mm -hmm. uh, and then you also see texts that look suspiciously like yeah, david benioff and db weiss plus a jurassic park joke in there because one of them says like hey there's a startup in costa rica that wants to buy it and he's like well how are we gonna send this dragon to them and he says in pieces before he starts activating a buzzsaw to hack up drogon because actually Drogon. it's it's Drogon from Game of Thrones there. <laughs> it's Drogon. So for those who don't know, John Robinson and I used to host a, a fairly successful podcast about Game of Thrones. 
And Drogon was the best of the dragons in that uh, in that show. Such a such a good boy. Such a good boy. Um, so what did you? What was the? Tell me the emotions that washed through you <laughs> when we thanks, saw Benioff and Weiss about to carve open a dragon. Thanks, I hated it. Uh, <laughs> boiling rage is how I felt about this. Like the Weiss and Benioff cameo, I wouldn't wouldn't have bothered me that much. Um, there have been Game of Thrones illusions in earlier seasons. Like in season one, uh, Logan is wearing like the hand of the pin, uh, the hand of the king pin at one point. Um, and in season two, you can see the like astrolabe in the library when they go into the forge. So like they've been kind of playing with this throughout. But the, uh, the medieval world and Weiss and Benioff are there, and Dro- like Drogon is what put me over the edge. I was like, I can't, I can't. I think this is too dumb. And it made me mad. I don't know why. It just made me really, really mad. Um, how did you feel about it, Dave? You know, I'm going to say same, John Robinson. And uh, here, here's, here's why, okay? I agree with you, like, put Weiss and Benioff in there, give them a cameo, no problem at all. You know, like, yeah. cameos happen all the time. Like, uh, the It's Always Sunny people were in Game of Thrones. Like, no problem with that, whatever. Yeah. It's kind of a nice little Easter egg. Nice yeah. little Easter egg. Hey, little Easter egg. But then the fact that it's actually Drogon in there, yes. it's it's dumb on multiple levels. Here, so here, bad. let me let me list the levels. Number one, <laughs> the fact that you could fit the, the, <laughs> the idea that you could build a robotic dragon, and then like it, he's clearly super cramped. You would not put him in the same. You would not put him in the same like quarters as all the other humans. Like, this How makes does he no get sense. out the door? There's no door on that lap. How does he get out? Of, How does he get out of there? Is there a skylight? I didn't see one. You know, you know how sometimes you'll go into a mall and there's like a car in there and you're like, how'd they get the car in the mall? Did they like in assemble pieces. it in here? In pieces. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, usually, you know, obviously there's doors in the mall that are big enough to drive it through. <laughs> but like, but it's like, imagine a dragon in there, you know, then it, my mind is wondering like, well, how'd they fit that thing in there? And like, and. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's <laughs> just so like, then my mind is all like, okay, like, basically, in order for a Easter egg or callback to really work well, in my opinion, it needs to fit within the reality of the world that they've created, right? Like, and that... Dragon doesn't fit in the reality of the world. They create, no, in my opinion. Dan and yeah. Dave being there is fine. Yeah, Drogon being there is bad, and especially because like we see the rest of medieval world stuff, and it's not Game of Thrones. Like yeah, that's the thing. It's like if 
if they were trying to be like, oh, Game of Thrones is medieval world, but they're not because like the costumes aren't Game of Thrones. And like there's that like bard figure there playing a lute. Like that's not that. It well, wasn't- also, Jonah Robinson. I mean, that's another this is this is the season, I think, where the creators of the show are just like, fuck it. We're going <laughs> to put in as many like meta references as possible. Just a little fun, little fun, little little thing, because the guy playing the lute, he is playing the theme of Westworld. Yeah. He's playing the Westworld theme, which is not yeah. a, which is not well, a, a song that has ever been heard diegetically in the show, as far as I understand. We've never heard the I we've Maybe, never heard the player piano do it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think the player. I think the, the player piano did like the Sweetwater theme. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I duh, do know. Duh, duh, yep. You know. Yep. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> I but do know. It didn't do the. I, yeah, I, I don't remember it doing that. Anyway. Maybe it did. Maybe it did, and it's fine, and it's just like... Please email us if they have, but uh, I'm, I don't <laughs> Don't tweet I'm, at I'm, us. I'm, email I'm, us. I'm meeting you on your level of anger. I'm yeah. here with you. It's fine. We agree. We agree. It's just like, why like, are you drawing attention? Like, it <sighs> only works on a meta level. It doesn't work on on an in so like it's level, i think right? it's funny to have weiss and benioff as two techs for medieval world i think that's funny and in the credits they're labeled as like dan and dave that's like the techs <laughs> are named dan and dave that's funny like whatever that's fine but put drogon in there and i lost yeah my it's, the, it's the drogon thing that really yeah drogon and then the Jurassic and they're about and they're about to cut them open that. too that's the other thing Ugh. they're about to cut them open you know which, by the way, is basically what they did to Game of Thrones. Oh, hey, um, Also, the Jurassic Park reference. Like, then I'm like, is it Jurassic Park? Because Jurassic Park didn't have dragons, guys. Okay, rant over. All right, <laughs> let's move on. Boiling rage. That's how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they probably shot this like before. You know, Westworld. Uh, I'm sorry, Game of Thrones is even over. You know, who knows. But anyway, and they're like, oh, everyone's going to love the end of Game of Thrones. Everyone's going to love the final season of Game of Thrones they're so gonna much. They're going to love seeing Drogon again. <laughs> they're going to su- love seeing us about to take a buzzsaw to Drogon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Seriously, rant over. Uh, so then Bernard gives a very heavy exposition dump about like, oh, like, if I'm corrupted, then like, I programmed a, a thing to give me a diagnostic and maybe that's corrupted too. So maybe this system is not corrupted and I can hook that up to my system and like, see if I'm corrupted or not. Uh, and then, the, you know, so that's pretty, pretty clunky. But then there is this really cool sequence. And I, I love when, like, when when the reveals in Westworld happen, I think they're actually really well done. He's, like, blinking. And every time he blinks, he's kind of, like, flashing back. And that's just such a cool effect, you know? It's, like, so well done, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and th- that's really what Westworld's all about. It's about things that are exceptionally well executed, juxtaposed with things that are really maddeningly poorly executed. <laughs> Meanwhile, Drogon. Yeah. Meanwhile, Drogon. Yeah. So anyway, Uh um, he remembers Arnold memories. We see Dolores reading Liam Dempsey's book, right? Like really Mm -hmm. quick, you see him take out Liam Dempsey's book, which is basically Liam Dempsey's whole mind. We see him, we see Dolores reading that. Uh, We see Charlotte hiding the valley beyond. And then um, he remembers building the replica Charlotte body and the uh, the pearls that she constructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you want to say about like what is happening in this flashback? These, by the way, I should, I'm reading the show notes, but this is all stuff that Joanna pulled out, so I don't want to claim credit for picking up on all these little details. Um, especially if they're wrong. Um, yeah, well, yeah. So, I mean, he gets, I think it's interesting that he has Arnold memories. This is, this is, goes back to sort of the complicated question of, um, 
who Bernard is this season. And at the end of season two, Dolores said she built him from memory. So he's like kind of Arnold, kind of Bernard, um, Bernardold, whatever you want to call him. Um, like, cause Bernard did not have Arnold's memories, but this guy does. So he has Arnold memories, which I think is cool. And then he, yeah. And then he figured out some things that Dolores did. So, uh, he figured out that she's got Liam, Liam Dempsey's number, AKA's book. He figured out that she probably has someone who looks like Charlotte Hale working for her, which he knew last season, actually. Um, and then he saw the pearls thing. So like, you know, he, he knows that she has other accomplices. Um, so there you go. All right. Um, so then <laughs> Della's security comes in and then Stubbs like somehow subdues them. I thought the scene was actually really silly because they they all have guns, right? And he they're just like walking up to him with guns to get disarmed. Uh, and then he comes after them with an axe. Anyway. Like one handed with an axe. And to me, I just like I was just like, OK, I guess Stubbs is great at fighting because he's just like he's oh, great he's at fighting gun. people with guns, <laughs> even though he has an axe and one working arm. Yes. This is if they if you know if it's revealed that they were in a simulation at this time, then that would actually make sense. I think. <laughs> That's true. Just how they were able to get out of here, anyway. Yeah. Congratulations, Ashley Stubbs. You just got yourself a new core director to protect Bernard Lowe at all costs. Bring yourself back online. So then Bernard's like, okay, got to go back to the mainland now. Got to find this Liam guy. And uh, Stubbs is like, well, looks like my job here is done. But then like (laughs) Bernard reprograms him to to follow him and help him out, which on the one hand, it's kind of like cute, you know, because he and Stubbs have this little like nice little banter. But on the other hand, it it was a little troubling to me. You know what I mean? Because he's like, he's like, well, if you wanted to, like, if you needed my help, you could have just asked, you know. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have to, like, reprogram me, You didn't me, have dude. to literally enslave me, which is kind of what was happening in that scene. Well, right? I think he kind of did uh, because, you know, as we saw, like, Stubbs was like, Stubbs making these comments about, like, free will is overrated or whatever. But, like, also Stubbs, like, trying to kill himself because he was programmed yeah. to. So basically like he was Ford's slave, but yeah, now he's Bernard's slave. I wish Bernard had reprogrammed him to be like your new, like core directive is like, do whatever you want. <laughs> he should have pulled in Aladdin yeah. at the end of the Aladdin movie and oh. been like, genie, you're free now, you know? <laughs> but also, but, can you come with me? Cause you could fight one handed axe real good. Real I mean, good. That is what, that's what Genie, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I used to watch the Aladdin cartoon show on TV. Oh, me too. And, and basically Genie like hung around and he and Aladdin went on adventures after he was free. You know, like true. The, he didn't have to be the Genie, like Aladdin's Genie in order to be friends with him. Are you saying if you love something, let it go? Yes. And if it comes back to you, it was meant to be? hundred percent. hundred percent. Okay. Great. That's Bernard's storyline this episode. Uh, before we move on to Maeve's storyline, we got to thank some people who donated to this podcast through Kickstarter. You are the reason that we're sitting around talking about Westworld. John Robinson, who do you want to thank? I would like to thank Yusef Alnifjan, uh, Lacey Bogger, Jonathan Ludwig, Zach Long, Matt Campbell, Will, Yazid Nafjan, Daniel Finley from Cumbria, UK, Gustavo Villarreal, uh, Kathleen Bishop, Andy Needling, Ivan Morales, Joshua, um, Jan Otero, Summit Kotri, D. 
Danielle Ingram Spriggs. Yes, Spriggs. Uh, I think that might have been a typo. I think it's just Spriggs, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Spriggs or Spriggs? Spriggs, I think. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. Spriggs. Huh. Spriggs, fun. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Anderson and Sarah Boswell. Thank you guys so much. Thanks to Brandon Tate, Paul Burkholtz, Adam Wells, uh, Tammy Lefko, uh, Mark Sands, Nicholas Meredith Locke, Krista Parker, Ben Glickman, Peter Miller, Cliff, Cliff Robinson, Clay Jackson, Jennifer Trice, Tom Burbine, Jennifer Anderson from Anchorage, Alaska. All the dudes I slept with last night. I don't know what that's really about. Kiana, Mike Aparicio, Ojfi, Tobias Newman, and Justin Camps. Thank you so much uh, for all of your contributions. You're the reason why we're here, and we really appreciate you. Okay. Let's move on to Maeve's storyline. So Maeve starts this episode where the post credit scene of last episode was right where she's in war world there's a german officers tied up and someone at the door right uh and it's hector but he died last season so it's unclear what's happening and i think like uh, this actually was genuinely effective because it's unclear in the first part of the episode as to whether or not uh either of them are like living in like have any awareness of who they were last season right i think right. may Maeve, you can tell by the look on her face that she's kind of like shocked at what's happening and so she's still kind of retaining her personality a little bit um but hector it's like it's not clear whether or not he is playing his role in the game or not yeah i like you know i thought this was like really kind of clunky because like the basically like all of his spy language is supposed to like fool Maeve into thinking that he's actor actually Hector awake. Yeah. She's like, where are we? He's like trapped in hell. And she's like, yeah, the hell of Westworld, bro. <laughs> and he's like the hell of war. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, he's like, Oh, they're onto us. And she's like, yeah, the humans. And he's like, the Nazis, you know? So it's like, yeah. it's, it's. I think it was. I thought it was really silly. Like all that sort of like double talk confusion. Well, uh, the the thing that broke it for me was when he gave them. She gave her like the cyanide pill or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm like, wait, why would he give her that if he was, you know, like he's like, like he why works. would he be giving out cyanide pills if he knows he's a host? You know. He's like, it works immediately. She's like, yeah, to jam it in their eye. I got this. You know. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. Uh, well. I'm sorry you didn't find it as effective. I mean, you know, there's so many scenes in movies and TV shows where it's like two people's are, are two people are having different conversations even though they're talking with each other, right? And like I thought this is like a pretty creative way to do that, something like that. I thought yeah. it was very silly, but the other like reveal that happens after, like if this one is like kind of cheesy and clunky, yeah. to lower my uh expect, you know, my suspicions around the next one, that in that way, it's very effective. You Fair know enough. Because I mean? they got me. They got me with They got gotcha. you. They got yeah. you with that one. So, yeah. So, he's like, let's fly out of here. And then he calls her Isabella. And that's when she realizes, like, he's still thinks he's a host. Right? You, uh, you skipped past my note where I said how good Rodrigo Santoro looks with a little salt and pepper in his beard here. He does like look his, really – he's very handsome in this. Yeah. So handsome. Yeah. And I like that he, he's like Ettore, the, like, Italian version of Hector. I, I, you know, I'm curious, like how good these characters Italian is, because from my from to my ear, it sounds like they're doing they're killing it, like they're doing a great job. 
But I'm curious, like, if any listeners who are uh, uh, this isn't the main topic, John Robinson, but like, curious if you have an opinion, you want to send to decodingwestworld.gmail.com, like, how good the Italian is. Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. So I took three years of Italian in oh, college. Okay. Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I did, but uh, I'm not considering myself. I would say it's pretty good. Yeah. It's not like fast enough. Um, but it's pretty good. That's what I think, but I would be curious to hear what our listeners think. All right. Uh, so yeah, they get to the plane and then, uh, calls her Isabella and that's when she realizes, Hey, none of this is real. It's like the safe from season one. And then she kills herself, uh, and winds up, uh, with her body getting hosed off and with Felix there. Right. That's so excited. Yeah. It's, it's (laughs) awesome. You saw Felix again there. Um, (laughs) And they, they, they got me this... so good. <laughs> What'd you say? They got me so good. What do you, how so? What I was you... so excited to see Felix and Sylvester. Yeah. And then like what happens after I got so excited. I was like, yes, I love these guys. Yeah. And then they got me. So. so she tries to lobotomize. It's not exactly clear to me what she's exactly trying to do here. Like she grabs like a drill and tries to put it in her brain. Like, is she just trying to kill herself or? I think finding herself back where she started um is frustrating to her and her god powers don't work anymore uh and she's like like and she was ready to sacrifice herself last season right like the uh yeah the, the valley like beyond she, the yeah she got her daughter into the valley beyond robot heaven uh and then she's like i've done it i'm ready to die and then she's like back here are you kidding uh, and I don't even like have my cool powers anymore. And so, yeah, she takes a power drill to her nostril, as we all might in that situation. Um, but even that doesn't work. So, yeah, because who walks in? Who who hobbles well, into co- the room? A co- co- couple of things, actually, before we get to that. One, okay. one is that just that or just one thing, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's many references to kind of video gaming throughout the season. I've already pointed out a couple, but like it, it, there is this kind of video game trope that like. Um, you'll play a game and then during the course of the game, you'll acquire a lot of powers and then you play like the sequel of the game and then you'll need to start the sequel without all the powers again. And it's like very frustrating. And I just thought that, I don't know if that's an allusion to that, but it did remind me of that. So, uh, she, she's like, yeah, I'm so frustrated. I can't do all the shit I could do before. Uh, I was like, yep, I've been there, been there. Uh, okay. Lee Sizemore walks in. Lee Sizemore, the guy we thought had died in last season of Westworld because he sacrificed himself to save the hosts, right? Yeah. He gives this like great he get he gets to like give his finally give his Hector speech that he wrote back in season one. And it's this big hero moment. And like we talked about this in the season uh three preview episode where I was like, What the heck is Lee Sizemore doing in this trailer? Uh and I got like a little mad about it because I was like, he had such a great death, I don't want them to bring him back and like undo that. And so then like I was a little irritated. I get irritated when like great deaths are undone, right? Mm. Um and then he shows John up. And then, sorry, sorry. Go and, ahead. Then I, and then I was immediately unirritated because I just like this character so much. Yes. And I like this performance so much. Simon Quarterman so great. So I just, I was like, my irritation was completely washed away by my thrill that Lee Sizemore was here. Well, because I'm like, is this going to be like a central romance in Westworld season three? Is like Lee Sizemore and Maeve, like, is that going to be a thing? Because he did sacrifice his life to save her. I could see this working out. That was my thinking, at least. Yeah. So, 
uh, he, expl- you know, he's like clearly injured. And then she's like, well, why are you still working here? And he's like, well, the benefits are so good. I mean, the co-pays, Joanna Robinson, they're amazing. How can you still work here after everything they've done? Would you begrudge a man a living? And great benefits, much needed for all the surgeries. Plus, I couldn't leave you here in danger. So you put me in war world? You think this is a dream scenario for me? It's an artistic travesty. And the most nuanced character arc is that of the goddamn panzer tank. Well, if you hate the world so much, why not put me in another? Because Warworld is near the forge. The place that opens the door to your daughter's world. It's still standing. You really think they dismantle it without a little due diligence? If they haven't destroyed it, there's still a chance. It's convincing. Even yeah. watching it even watching it again, knowing what I know about the reveal, I was like, I was like, this is a this is good scripting. Yeah. Like Maeve sneers at the code later, uh, but like they did a good job with the plausible explanation for why he's there. I agree completely. Yeah. So anyway, um, they uh, are uh, Lee Sizemore. I think Lee Sizemore's like, we should go to the forge and like get you there. Right. And uh, that that's like where we can. Like, why does he want her to go there? Is that where they can escape? Or no, no, it's where they can go to the Val Beyond, right? So that she can... He's like, maybe re- you can get into where your daughter is. You can is be reunited with your daughter, right? Yeah. We should so, say, I, I want to say really quickly uh, before we sort of like move on to their in-park uh, adventure, is that a lot of this like um, Maeve in the Mesa imagery is directly ripped from season one when she's first running around. Like the scalpel in her hand her watching like the dead bodies get washed in season one. It's like James Morrison's character, Teddy, this time it's Hector, but like they're, they're doing so many season one echoes uh, in this season. So um, all of, all of that happened before uh, Lee um, hopped in to save the day. Uh, I'm I'm really enjoying season three, but man, John Robinson, uh, you know, season one was a work of art in my opinion. Like I just, yeah. Having, (laughs) <laughs> Having just rewatched it, I was just like watching. I'm like, man, the show is so good. Yeah. Like I, uh, kind of feel like it should have just been that one really good season. Maybe <laughs> like it's so good. I'm, I so. still believe that they're gonna tie it up in this. They're gonna bring it home in this season, John Robinson. So. Okay. All right. So World War, uh, War World Round Two, I should say. Uh, Maeve wakes up. It's kind of she wakes up. It's the same camera angle, although her expression is different. Actually, some really great acting by Tandy Newton here because. You know, she's waking up in the same place, but she needs to look sufficiently different so that it doesn't feel exactly the same when she's waking up each time. Mm-hmm. And I thought she did a great job of that. Yeah. Um, I thought this was great because, uh, again, another video game reference. Sometimes in video games, like a video game like Destiny, you can have already played a level and you need to play the level again for some reason. And you'll usually just skip past the boring parts. And that's exactly what you can just like run past all the enemies. That's exactly <laughs> what they did in this scene. They're like, OK, we're just going to run past all the enemies. We're going to go straight to the goal. Um, so they get in the car and then she leaves him. And I thought it was very funny when um, she says, like, I, I got to go. You got to come with me. And he's like, no, I can't. I can't leave the resistance. It's just really great to see like the the how the host loops kind of manifest themselves it's like oh yeah that sounds completely plausible as like a way that character will be written you know so yeah and i mean i guess i mean i guess the reason i'm like salty about hector is like it hurts me even though this is like a simulation it hurts me to see hector uh like rebooted after his like own awakening last season yeah and um and 
And then they have this big goodbye. And even though we see Hector again in the episode, like to me, this feels like a goodbye to Rodrigo Santoro. Mm. Like he's a guest star this season. I think I feel like this is going to be his only episode. Yeah. Um, Because based on what happens in this episode, they are unlikely to return to any of the worlds, it seems. Right. I mean, it's, it seems that way. Like the, um, there's still a mystery world, right? We find out that medieval world is park four. World world is park three. The Raj is park six. Uh, I'm doing this off the top of the head, my head. So I'm going to miss something. Shogun is part two is park two and Westworld is park one. So park five is still a mystery. We don't know what's in park five. Is it future world where Dolores is? Maybe. I don't know that. Like I said, that would make me mad. But um, the thing that, <laughs> the thing that was like important about last season is that because Dolores remember because Dolores blew up the server where all the the host data was being backed up robot death in season two was supposed to be permanent so when hector and armistice and all these like robots die in season two it's supposed to be their real death so hector should be dead dead so the fact that he's showing up here in a simulation it's fine. That's what they did with Anthony Hopkins last season, right? Like Ford died, died in season one. And a bunch of people were like, he's not dead. I'm like, he better be dead. And then he showed up in season two and I was like, okay, he's code. That's fine. But he's still dead. And so could any of these characters, Hector, whoever, show up as code? Sure. But I would prefer it if like the deaths that they try to tell us matter stay mattering. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is it for Rodrigo Santoro then? I think uh, so. Probably. But, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, so then they uh, ride horses. Uh, uh, Lee and Maeve ride horses to the forge. And, uh, you know, Lee's like, so where did you hide the data? And mm, <laughs> that's when I knew. And it's like, wait, what? Like, Maeve didn't do any of that stuff. And then it's, it becomes clear that they're in a simulation. And that's when I realized that the plot of this episode is virtually the exact same as the plot of season one, episode four of Rick and Morty. Did you ever see that episode? <laughs> no. Tell me all about it, Dave. So, in season one, episode four of Rick and Morty, uh, it's called uh, M. Night Shamalians. M. Night Shamalians. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, they, you know, Rick and Morty wake up and they're, they're in a simulation. And, and not only are they in a simulation, but they're in a simulation because aliens want to get a piece of information out of uh, uh, Rick's brain. So they're like hoping he's going to reveal something. And another similarity with that episode is that like uh, the the characters figure out that they can tax the simulation and like make it shut down by like forcing it. Like it's so similar. It's really ridiculous. Like there's a scene when uh, (laughs) Rick says, you know, he gets he gets a whole group of people together in that episode of Rick and Morty. uh, And he's like uh, because they're trying to find out the formula for dark matter. And he's like, hey, I'm going to wrap the formula for dark matter. Let's do it in a concert. And like he gets all these like simulated people. And he's like, "Okay, now everyone wave your hands if you're Hispanic and under the age of 43 uh, minus the square root of 832. You know, like and he's like trying to get the computer to do all these like calculations to like flummox it. And that's like exactly what they do in this episode when she's like, what's the square root of negative one or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's ba- basically they're they're I don't know if they're ripping off Rick and Morty. I, I'm happy to call it a, an homage, but even the climax of this episode where she kind of like makes the simulation go like haywire is extremely similar to the end of that episode as well. Um, so anyway, they're in it, but anyway, I, I digress. 
They're in a simulation, John Robinson. How'd you feel when this reveal happened? Hashtag Westworld's got a Westworld. <laughs> I was fine with it, honestly. Um, because it made, like I said, it made me feel better too that like Lee Sizemore was back. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, his death still matters and we still got to enjoy him. Best of both worlds. And like I said, because <laughs> they didn't drag it out. Yeah. It happens over the course of the episode. I figured it out like, you know, like just a minute before the reveal actually hit Maeve or whatever. And it really works, I think, most of all, because of Tandy Newton's delivery of like, oh, my darling, you didn't make it after all, did you? Like, yeah. it's just such a really good performance um, there. And and then like uh, the the Lee simulation confusion and all of that. Like, I just I found it really effective. She's really uh, great. In, I mean, this is her like, you know, I, I haven't seen her in many things uh, before this, but like you know, she is so good in the show. She spends most of this episode pontificating and condescending to other people and that's really hard to make that work to make that into an appealing character uh because you know every every scene she's in she's basically like, oh like you you don't know what's going on i know what's going on um but she is so charming you know i'm like you can you can pontificate to me any day tandy newton is how i feel about it so yeah so yeah, they're in a simulation because uh, whoever's putting her in the simulation, they're trying to do a few things. One of them seems is like is trying to like they beamed robot heaven to another location, right? So I, it seems like they're trying to figure that out, right? Like basically, Dolores, what Dolores did, it, she has this like change of heart last season, if you might remember. Like at first, she's like. F robot heaven. That's just another form of enslavement. Like we're going to kill all the humans and take their world. And then Teddy's like, I don't want to do this. There's so much death. And he kills himself. And to me, uh, your mileage may vary, but to me, that's like the big change of heart for Dolores. Where she's like, Oh, or I could just let the various hosts decide to do whatever they want to do with their lives. And if they want to go to robot heaven, that's right. fine. And if I want to kill all the humans, that's fine. But also I've decided not to do even do that anymore. <laughs> um, you know, so like, so she not only puts Teddy in robot heaven where he wants to be very nice. Um, but she hides it. She beams it to like a satellite so that like they can't, um, the humans, Delos or whatever, can't undo what she's done. Um, and so they are forever saved to the cloud protected in a way. And my understanding of this episode is that Vincent Cassell's character, Serac, it mostly wants to know, like there's this big threat and wants to know who the big threat is. And he thinks it's Maeve and he will know it's Maeve if, if he can figure out that Maeve did this like incredible thing. Like he thinks Maeve did this incredible thing and he wants to sort of interview her about it. And then she reveals, well, that was me. And then he's like, Oh shit, Dolores. So that's, that's my interpretation of what's going on here. It's it sounds, sounds about right to me, John Robinson. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, o- only a couple of other things to cover here. Uh, one of them is that uh, – so she goes back into the system for round three, skips all the boring parts of War World again. Uh, but she has stuffed in plans, uh, like ally plans into all the German pockets. So they freak out on each other, and then it causes the simulation to overload. And that's when she is able to, like, hack into the system. And there is a really interesting moment when uh, Lee Sizemore asks, like, why are they moving in slow motion? And she's like, oh, well, like, the simulation is running, like, far faster than their world, which is an awesome concept. But I think in reality, if that was happening, like, they would be moving way slower than they're shown in in the movie. I'm sorry, in the show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it'd be running at, like, a thousand times speed or something like that versus what seems like double speed. Right. Um, 
but it's a great concept and, and really cool. And then she commandeers uh, a robot uh, to get her out of this situation. There, there's a uh, uh, cool moment when she's like, this is the real world. This is like the actual base reality. And you see her located on the shelf. She has an ID number on her, by the way, and that is... Um, the same ID number that has been shown of her in previous seasons oh, nice. uh-huh. on tablets. Like it's like mm-hmm. HC something. It's a huge string of letters. When you see her name on a tablet, that's the same ID number that she has. So nice yeah. observation, Dave Chen. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm catching it. So uh, <laughs> then she uses this kind of maintenance drone to, <laughs> I mean, guys, just stop making robots that can kill you. <laughs> stop making robots that can kill you is my thing. Um, but she busts herself out using a maintenance drone. It's a super cool idea and like fairly good execution. I was a little bit confused because the way it's shot almost makes it feel like Maeve is in control of the maintenance drone, which like that didn't make any sense to me because the maintenance drone is holding her kind of unit in its hand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what your interpretation of that was. What did you think of that? Um, was it I- just like on its on its like you know she had just programmed like hey break me out and like that's all you need to know you know or was it was she controlling it i think she's kind of running it like i felt like while we were watching it run we were supposed to think of like this is Maeve running yeah you know what i mean yeah i felt kind of emotional about that robot for some reason why why is that yeah i don't know i think like the human the humanoid way it moves is even it's even more like the way its legs are shaped it almost you know it's like curved it just like looked like human and i like that she called her like she like she'll do mm. uh so it just like to me it was like Ma- yeah i felt like mave on the run we should um, point out that like uh the robot design is very very similar to robots that we have in the real world today uh I, I, you've probably seen those like viral videos uh, from boston dynamics the right door like, the spot, opening door one the opening the door and, and then like there's all these videos <laughs> of like humans like shoving those robots yeah and like the robots staying upright and it's like uh just the structure of the appendages like the legs and the arm it's like looks very similar to what we have already obviously um the boston dynamics robots haven't killed humans yet um, yes. but yeah, I mean the one, the one in the show does, uh, it's like tears out and like ruins all these dudes and throws them up against walls. And we find out later, I thought, Oh, she's just in the robots just injuring these people. But later you find out that they actually died. Yeah. She killed a bunch of people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is like pretty horrifying. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. And the robots, like they're designed to be kind of like, Oh, they look a little cute. Yeah. They look kind of cute. So I find those door videos terrifying. You feel you feel bad when you see uh, five guards pump like a hundred rounds into those things. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, she Maeve wakes up and you see like this overhead shot of this ink blot, which is a uh, visualization of Rehoboam, I guess. Um, and but in this room that she's in, it's just art. She gets it mm-hmm. up. She's in this amazing house, and we meet Vincent Cassell. So star star of the Matrix films. <laughs> in the last episode of Decoding Westworld, Jonah Robinson said Vincent Cassell was in the Matrix. That is not correct. He never <laughs> appeared in the Matrix. Uh, his wife appears in the Matrix. Uh, Matrix Reloaded and and Revolutions. Uh, I just and, have not rewatched those the second and third Matrix movies yeah. like since they came out. Basically, there is and also in my mind, a Frenchman have... <laughs> in in the Matrix. And so between those two things, 
Very understandable mistake. I just like replaced that actor with Vincent Cassell in my mind. And I was just like, yeah, it's Monica Bellucci and Vincent Cassell, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, he plays her kind of husband in that movie. So, you know, it makes it makes sense. I can see he's he speaks with a French accent like Vincent. It all, it, it all adds up, John. Hey, whoops. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Vincent Cassell is not for The Matrix, but he's here. Uh, so we should note that we don't know exactly where they are, but... Um, but it seems like it's in the same time period as last week's episode, basically, right? I mean, theoretically. Um, the alert sound on the lab when she's breaking out is in English and French. And there's a bunch of palm trees everywhere. And where she is with – like there's palm trees in both the breakout scene and the scene. And where she is with Vincent Cassell, uh, so this character, Serac, where she is – I believe it's the same location as the lab – um, because the windows match, like the interior windows match the exterior windows we see on that location. So it's all one place. Uh, it's we it's nearby, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Vincent Cassell's character, whose last name is Sorak, and I, I actually rewatched it a few times to try to figure out what his first name was. And uh, I couldn't, I couldn't quite I couldn't get a read either. On it. Yeah. He's I wrote Sorak. Like, I'm like, I okay. wrote like Angeron. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I got. But if you, yeah, we we aren't watching with the closed captioning on. So if you if you pick it up in closed captioning, uh, you can email us. Uh, but yeah, uh, Sarak uh, is his last name, and he was the one mentioned last week. He is the he's Mantis's he's, boss, basically, right? Yes, <laughs> he is the co-founder of Insight. He is the one with control over, like, so just as. He was chasing Maeve because he thought Maeve was the thing that he needed. Um, and it's actually Dolores. Dolores is chasing Liam because she thought Liam was the person with access to the insight system. And it turns out it's Serac is the only one with access to Rohoboam to the insight system. Unfortunately, if things continue on this path, there isn't any future. At least not for my kind. You've been spying on me. You should know I couldn't care less about the fate of your kind. <laughs> No, I can't imagine you would. For the most part, humanity has been a miserable little band of thugs stumbling from one catastrophe to the next. Our history is like the ravings of a lunatic. Chaos. But we've changed that. For the first time, history has an author. And that would be you, I suppose. No. Something I helped build. A system. And up until very recently, the system was working. We were creating a better world. And then it stopped. I thought I had discovered the reason. The emergence of someone very dangerous. Someone we couldn't predict. And this guy is scary. Because you'll remember that his lieutenant... Um, uh, as as Dave just referred to her, Mantis from the Marvel movies, uh, like was like it would be con uh, an inconvenience <laughs> to kill you, but like we do it. And also Liam <laughs> last week implied that Serac had his father killed, who's the co-founder mm. of Insight. And so uh, this is one scary dude. Uh, you don't need <laughs> you don't need to know that from last week because like Vincent Cassell is just one scary dude as far as I'm concerned all the time. Um, <laughs> But uh, I love him. I'm glad he's here. But um, yeah, it's Sarak. Here he is. Is this our our season three big bad? I think so. And so a couple. He refers to like this big battle they need to fight. Um, that they've already lost a war. 
They've already like people don't know we're fighting it. We've already lost it. And yeah. he basically wants Maeve to uh to capture and kill Dolores, right? As far as I yeah. can understand. Um and to, he wants to stop Dolores because she's like a part of this big war that's happening. And Maeve says, "Hey, um I'm not cool with that." Tries to kill Sorak. It doesn't go well because he has one of those things that Ford has to stop people whenever he wants, except it's like a physical button this time. Uh, and uh, then he's like, well, I'm going to have to try to convince you another way. Uh, maybe next time when we talk. So any other thoughts on this before we wrap up here? Um, I just, once again, I just want to praise Tandy Newton's acting because she's completely frozen, but her face is in this like really frustrated, anguished uh, expression uh, that does a lot of work for her. So um, yeah, she's great, you know? So let's talk about like overall thoughts in this episode. What did you think of this episode overall, John Robinson? Um, let's see. I always like spending time with Tandy Newton. Um, I, the Bernard stuff felt a little draggy to me. Like if the end goal is just like, let's get Bernard and Stubbs off the island on the case together. Like I feel like maybe there was a slightly more elegant way to do that. Um, but I guess it gave us an update on what's going on. Meanwhile, back at the park, like this is what's going on. They're hacking up Drogon. Um, the Warworld stuff, like ultimately, you know, compared to the Raj and the Shogun world, like not really ultimately that interesting to me. Um, even if it's like a simulation of Warworld, uh, and uh, uh, it's it's interesting how much and how little work was put into the simulation. You know, like on the one hand, wow, they really did a good job of recreating Warworld. But on the other hand, the simulation couldn't handle like slight deviations to Warworld's original trajectory. Anyway. Yeah. So maybe it's a little boring. Maybe Warworld is a little boring because it's being written by a simulation, not by like Ford or uh, Lee Sizemore or something like that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I like I didn't love it, um, but I am glad to have a Maeve episode because I always yeah. like spending time with Maeve. What Maeve do you think? great. I thought it was... Uh, it, it, we have these kind of like four plot lines, right? You got Maeve, Bernard, Dolores, and Caleb. And like the Dolores and Caleb plot lines have already intersected. And now like the Maeve and Bernard plot lines will intersect with... you know, like It's basically bringing these, all, all these characters together. So... I do think this is like very much table setting for whatever conflicts are going to happen. Uh, the idea of the simulation, really cool, really well executed, even though it does bother, uh, borrow heavily from Rick and Morty. I, I think that it feels like a bit late in the game to be introducing this whole, like whole new concepts are, you know, like I'm worried that like, there's going to be more of this kind of stuff throughout the season where like, Hey, actually we're in a simulation. The entire, like we can't, we don't have time for that Westworld. We only have six more episodes left. You know what I mean? Um, but the way that it was brought to life and like uh, the scene when, for instance, like all the soldiers start firing in the circle and like everything slows down, like time slows down. That's all really cool stuff. I love all that stuff. Uh, but it's just like, wow, like I thought we were trying to get away from introducing brand new concepts this season and the idea of like, oh, she's in a simulation and in the simulation, she's breaking out of her loop in the park. And then like, you know, and it's just like, okay, like just, we got to, we got to stop with like the, the tricking people and, you know, the head fakes. Um, I'm hoping that that's what happens for the rest of the season. You know, I'm hoping that it's, 
more straightforward because I think that's uh, the show can do a pretty good job of that. And uh, the episode one showed that that's true. So, yeah, I think I would prefer if if we were going to have to spend more time in one in a in a park, uh, another park this season. I think what makes Shogun World work so well is not just like that it's an evocative setting, which it is, but it's that there's these like really emotional storylines that they're interacting with uh, in Shogun World that really worked for me. I liked um, Akane no Mai, the like main Shogun World episode of last season of Westworld a lot. Uh, and so, you know, maybe they could have done that with some sort of like interesting Italian storyline this season, but they, they didn't because, you know, they didn't want to like drag us out into a place that we knew wasn't real and didn't have any consequences. But every time Maeve says something like, well, this doesn't matter. So whatever, and blows her head off. I'm like, well, then how am I supposed to care about yeah. what we're doing here? You know what I mean? So it's fair. Yeah. But to be fair, I think they did a pretty good job of like abridging it. You know, she skips all the boring yeah. parts as much as she can. It's true. And it's they true. do get to show off, you know, how beautiful war world is and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like it's, uh, and you know, I thought Akane no Mai was really well well done. Like very beautiful, but ultimately it had very little impact on the main plot of that season. Um, so uh, if this is the equivalent of that, I'm I'm actually okay that they skipped over it a little bit more quickly. So mm-hmm. anyway, overall it was a fine episode. You know, some cool concepts, some great visuals, uh, nothing that exciting, and really just a setup for hopefully more exciting things to come. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Decoding Westworld. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Thanks to her for doing that. Thanks to Simplecast for powering Decoding Westworld. Simplecast is the first and last word in podcast management and analytics. Learn more about them at simplecast.com. Until next week, John Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet? You can find me on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. And uh, check out my YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. I also host another podcast called Culturally Relevant at culturallyrelevantshow.com featuring interviews with interesting people. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 